Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. This week's episode, The Indispensables, Bruce will be joined by Ben Oden, a published author and host of the Wiley Others podcast. They'll be discussing the value of viewing your life and career as a process versus having a binary finite approach of wins and losses and how you can regain control of your career. Welcome to The Indispensables, and today I'm welcoming Ben Oden. Uh, ben is a, an author, he's a trainer, a speaker, uh, he's really a thought leader, um, and he is the founder of Y Lead Consultancy. Uh, he's trained leaders across the East African region uh, and and uh, and globally. So uh, uh, I'm so glad to welcome Ben Oden to the Indispensables. Welcome. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thank you so much. And uh, and I have to say, uh, Ben was kind enough to have me on his podcast, um, and uh, so I've already got a chance to make his acquaintance, and he's got a tremendous story. Uh, uh, ben, uh, tell tell us your story. What uh, people who don't know who you are? I mean, anyone who doesn't know who Ben Odin is, like, what's your problem? Mm. But uh, but 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 tell us your story. Um, I think I'll try to make this as short as I can. But I actually met somebody last week at an event, and I was there as a storyteller, and. I gave him my business card and my business card says uh, trainer and consultant. And so he was shocked. How, how, why are you, what are you doing in this storytelling event? And your business card says that you're a trainer and you're a consultant and you're an author. I mean, how do these two worlds, uh, you know, collide? And, and, I, and I briefly told him my story and I'll try to share that story here as well. So growing up, actually, I wanted to become a filmmaker. I had dreams of actually going to Hollywood uh, and become a screenwriter. That's So that's what I, growing up, that's the one skill I always work to sharpen. How do I write stories? How do I write screenplays most, you know, for specifically for TV and for, for film? And I went through high school and, of course, unfortunately, I didn't get to USC. I wanted to go to University of Southern California. That didn't happen because uh, it was too expensive to, and uh, my family simply just couldn't afford uh, the school. And, but I still had the passion. So I took a lot of online courses. I uh, participated in competitions in Hollywood uh, and I would send my spec scripts. Uh, I never won any of those uh, awards, but that, that was what yeah, I wanted to yeah. be. You, you, <laughs> yes. you haven't won them yet. Yet. So that was really what I really wanted to do. I, I believe in the power of stories and I wanted to become a storyteller. And then of course, people in my family and uh, my closest friends said, okay, you know what? You need to have a, a plan B of source here uh, if this doesn't work out. And knowing that the, how underdeveloped our film industry is here, it's, it's much better for you to just have a plan B. And so I actually went to college and I did human resources management. I thought it was the closest thing that I found interesting. And so that's what I studied. But at the same time, I was working for studios, you know, writing TV shows locally. Uh, and, you know, one TV show was actually made into uh, a TV series and it was aired for a number of years. But then wow. eventually I, 
transitioned and worked in the advertising world, but not not so much as a creative, but really more on the administrative side of things. And I think at some point, I had what I like to call an existential crisis because here I was, and this I think was around 2015, here I was, uh, for a long time in my life, I wanted to become a storyteller. And I moved from that when I was told by people that I had allowed to have a voice in my life that this is not going to work. I I shifted. Uh, And then I said, you know what, I will try and do human resources. But then I moved from that. And here I am in this advertising world. And I felt like a a fraud sense, because how come I keep on shifting and moving and I'm not doing this thing that I think I'm supposed to be doing? Um, And that's really more on the career side of things. But on a personal side as well, um, I was, I didn't leave what I preached in a sense, and I didn't stand by the values I proclaimed to believe. And so this incongruency had manifested itself in my life at that point on so many levels. And I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was doing. And I said, you know what, this has to stop. I can't be shifting and moving. I need to have something that I can build my life upon. I need to have a mission that drives me uh, where I don't necessarily, uh, I'm not swayed by whatever comes my way, but whatever opinions or by whatever is happening in our industry and our economy as well. So in 2015, towards the end of 2015, I took a holiday, you know, uh, and I think this was, I don't know what influence probably from the stories that I read. I left uh, the city. I went into the woods uh, I was alone. I had never been there. Just like, okay, here I am. God, speak to me. I need to figure out what I, I'm doing with my life. So when I go back to the city, I know what I'm going to dedicate my life towards. And I think that was a turning point for me because when I came back, I came back with a sense of purpose and, and mission. And my life has been you know, different ever since. Uh, and I think throughout that course of self-discovery and figuring out what is it that I, at the core of who I am, what is it that I want? What is it that I like doing? What is it I am willing to sacrifice and dedicate my life towards? And I came to realize that the common thread through everything that I had done was really to help change how people think and how people approach uh, things in the different spheres of life. Like storytelling, looking at all my stories, they were geared towards changing how people approach things. So people were at the core of it all and change was at the core of everything. So I came to realize, okay, how do I now, how do I translate this into my day-to-day activities? And that's how I landed in consulting and saying, you know what? Okay, I'm going to dedicate my life uh, serving people in the workplace and help them become better leaders, help them um, gain more influence, help them become more productive and innovative. And so even in my practice today, all of those different skills I developed uh, over those years, they're all coming back full circle because when I am teaching in a workshop, when I am speaking, uh, I would weave in stories and I, and I get feedback, you know, oh, Ben, you're a good storyteller. I mean, how how do you do this? And I came to realize all those years were preparation. Uh, I thought it was a lost cause. Um, I still have dreams of going to Hollywood, by the way. So maybe one day that will happen, right? But uh, so, that, so, that, so that's who I am. I never thought that I would be here doing what I am doing today. Um, but I am so glad that I did all those different things because I think they are preparation for what I'm doing today. And I know what I'm doing today is preparation for what I will be doing in the next 10, 15, 20 years. So that's a great origin story. I love the part that you went into the woods to find yourself. 
Um, and, 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 and I'd like to explore that a little bit more. What happened in those woods? You didn't see a burning bush. Maybe you did. Uh, uh, but, but before we get to, to the burning bush moment um, and what others can learn from that kind of uh, purposeful seeking of, uh, of epiphany, purposeful seeking of transformation, what do you think, uh, looking back, what is to be learned from the fact that you know, here you were, okay, yeah, you want to be in Hollywood. Yeah, you want to write screenplays. You want to write movies, maybe uh, television shows. Uh, but you also have to make a living. And uh, I'm guessing you were telling stories in the advertising industry because that's part of how you sell product, right, is telling stories. Uh, but, but what do you think are the larger lessons for that feeling of frustration um, I mean, do, do you think looking back, were you uh, uh, being a quote unquote fraud? Because, you know, I'm always I'm always skeptical of that. Gosh, you know, you have a purpose, you have a mission, you have a, a passion, but you have to make a living. I don't know if that makes you a fraud. Yeah. And, and I think that's a very good point. But I think looking back, and if I was to be completely honest, I think there were times where I was doing other things. But the main thing was the main thing. But I think for the larger part, I completely lost sight of the main thing. Uh, I think I've... So let me give you another example. Like right now, especially during COVID, uh, when 2020, 2021, uh, business was tough. And I had to do other things to keep the consultancy alive. And which, which is something that I didn't necessarily do, uh, you know, prior to 2015 because I was just swayed. So when I got involved with other things, I completely lost sight of the storytelling bit. I completely lost sight of my dreams of becoming a screenwriter. So I think I am definitely of the opinion and view that when you have a purpose, when you have this thing that you're building, um, you have to be realistic and practical. And sometimes you have to do other things so that you can facilitate the dream. But I think sometimes some of us, when things aren't going as we hope, then we abandon the dream, we abandon uh, this mission, and then we get fully sucked into this thing that was supposed to be a side gig, and now it's becoming your main thing. So I think in my case, the side gig became the main thing, and I lost track of um, what I wanted to do in the first place. But you never lost track of your ability to tell stories. I didn't. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't. So what 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 happened when you went into the woods? Is that a secret? Is uh, no no, it's what? not. It's it definitely isn't. So I was raised a Christian. Uh, my parents, both my parents, my mom and my dad, were uh, Christians. My great grandparents were the first uh, pastors and priests when the missionary European missionaries came to Tanzania and planted the churches. So I come from that tradition and I come from that background. Um, but I didn't personally have any faith. So I grew up uh, upholding, or at least thinking that I need to uphold these Judeo-Christian values. But in essence, I didn't fully buy into the idea. I didn't fully buy into the belief. And I think a big part of my congruency, incongruency rather, uh, came from this half in, half out. Uh, so I was not necessarily an existentialist, but I was not necessarily an essentialist. So life was meaningless, but at the same time, life has meaning. And But I didn't necessarily make a decision, what is it that I believe? And so 
in that year 2015 it was a year when i was exploring the idea of purpose uh, and i was and i encountered a few individuals who live purpose driven lives people who are fully committed into a single mission this is what i will do when i heard stories of even people who accomplished as the steve jobs of the world you know how do you fully dedicate your life into something because when i looked at my life um I, unless there were immediate gains unless there was some benefit to myself some form of glory to myself i was not going to completely be all in or dedicate myself into that thing um and for me a, a form of acquiring that a form of getting to a point where i am fully immersed in something uh came through my faith christian faith but at the same time i was just in and out i didn't fully buy into that and so i felt like my my life needs to be anchored around a belief and for me that belief was the christian faith and so when i left and went into the woods technically i was looking for god i was like where are you are you even real like if you are talk to me i heard people say god spoke to me but i i've never heard it uh, is it really even real and in that week the only encounter that i i've since called you know an encounter with god was i was sitting i remember i was you know standing on this large rock and it was a very 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 cinematic view there was like you know water falling down it was a very very wonderful beautiful view and in all that chaos all that noise i heard three words i love you and when i heard them instinctively i believed that god was speaking to me i love you and and that was a turning point for me because i said how can you say that knowing that i'm a fraud how can you say that knowing that i am not practicing the values that i present to my colleagues to uh different people that I interact with at work and in my personal life how can you say that um because I am not worthy of love I am not worthy of anything because I'm just not authentic I am a fake I am all of those other things right so I started breaking down technically and I spent that week really dissecting those words I love you um and knowing that I am loved knowing that I belong I think that changed everything for me and so when I came back to uh the city to dar es salaam my whole view of life really had changed just from those three words knowing that i am loved knowing that i belong and not just love but i'm loved by god right and so for me that was a turning point and i started researching and you know reading the bible and it became a source of a lot of inspiration a source of a lot of uh meaning making exercises for my own life and knowing that everything that i do is not in vain everything that i'm doing now is an investment for uh later and then god is going to reward me and so i think for me that whole concept the christian idea of sacrifice and living for others uh loving your neighbor i think uh jesus said you know no love is greater than sacrificing and laying down your life for your friend that sense of sacrifice and really giving everything you have for other people was instilled in me as a result of that experience and so when i came back I just said you know what I am going to dedicate my life I feel like I'm called to dedicate my life to serve um the leaders in the marketplace in Africa and the world and so that's what I started doing slowly uh so yeah so that's what happened in that week those three words really changed uh the way so I you, view you, life and my life So Ben you did find a burning bush in the woods <laughs> I did You did yeah, yeah. and and uh, I I thought you might have and uh that that's why I was pushing a little bit because it sounded like so what's your advice to people who are seeking some kind of epiphany 
uh, someone who's feeling like they're frustrated or like maybe they're not following their purpose or somehow they're wasting their time or they're, they're fraudulent in some way. People who are having that worry, that fear, do they need to go into the woods and, and, and seek the burning bush? Or do you have other, uh, other ways that you help people find their purpose or find their story or, or, um, or discover for themselves how I know you, you are fond of saying that life and career is a process, uh, not a binary approach of what just wins and losses. Right. Um, so how do you help people, uh, find their own epiphanous, uh, uh, transformation? I think there are multiple approaches uh and i've done i've done a lot of things right um one of the most popular one i think is uh the japanese framework of ikigai uh and essentially it's this framework where you you are asked a number of questions uh, and ikigai is i-k-i-g-a-i uh, ikigai and technically it's a framework for meaningful living um, what is your reason for being? That's the English translation of Ikigai. What's your reason for being? And so it's a series of questions in terms of they look at um, what is your competence? Um, what gets you going? What are you passionate about? What is your mission? What are some of the things you will do without getting paid? Um, and then so it's a number, a series of questions that you're asked, and then they find um, the common areas and what those could mean for you. So I think that's one meaningful uh, exercise that people can do, Ikigai. I've done that a number of times. Uh, I think reading was also another way for me. You know, I read a lot of books of people who uh, went out and sought meaning uh, in their own lives. I think some of the best examples here would be like um, uh, Frankel. I think, you know, the, the, the search for meaning, I think. Yeah, the search for meaning, his famous book. That would be yeah, another. You mean, you, mean, you mean Victor Frankel? Yeah, Victor Franco, yeah. So yeah, just so we can make this, sure we get it in the show notes. So so this yeah. is pretty deep stuff, Ben. I mean, uh so 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 when you're working with leaders, I mean, what if they're not deep in spiritual? I mean, here you are, uh you go into a room. I mean, some of your clients include, can you give a few examples of the kinds of I know you work for for-profit companies and nonprofit companies. Uh, I know that your area of focus is, is in East Africa, uh, but not just in, in Africa. Um, and, and so, uh, but if you give an example of, you know, cause you go into like a bunch of accountants or a bunch of manufacturing folks, that's or, exactly or, right. Like, a bunch of bankers or something. And, and then, you know, uh, are they open to this kind of, uh, spiritual approach? Um, I think fortunately, where I am in our region, especially in Africa, a lot of people are quite spiritual. Um, whether that spirituality is Islam, whether that spirituality is Christianity, whether that spirituality is Hindu, whether that spirituality is traditional religions, but most people are, and most people acknowledge that there is a higher power and uh, at work, and you know, um, essentially holding all of this together. So, so it's slightly easier to bring that up. But I think, but at the same time, I try not to be, I guess, preachy in that sense in my in a lot of my interactions with leaders. So a good example, I think I, I was training a client of mine called Knopf, which is this uh, German manufacturing company, uh, and they have presence um, in Europe and in Africa, and they have a plant here that's, you know, serves the region. And I was training a lot of their engineers and like technical guys. Uh, and 
even in that space, you know, because a lot of the interactions, a lot of the scenarios that people deal with, whether it's conflict resolution, um, whether it's actually pushing vision to their colleagues, a lot of those things, even though we look at them as very intellectual, but actually deep down they are spiritual. I mean, calling people to rally around a mission for an organization, asking them to come along with you, asking them to dedicate their lives to go beyond the call of duty. I mean, that's a that's a spiritual exercise. Uh, one would need to tap into more than just um, their intellectual um, cognitive abilities. I think they would have to go deeper to a place of deep emotion where, of course, if you go to, into deep emotion, you can tap into spirituality there. So I think it's, it's really, I bring it out, but I think the framing... And the language that I would use, uh, I would try to stay away from a lot of the language that is deemed spiritual because then people tend to shy away from that. But actually, if you really look at it in its basic form, um, leadership in large part is spiritual because I think leadership is influence and influence is very spiritual. Sometimes uh, people can't explain why they're captivated by certain individuals. People can't explain why they follow certain individuals. And which means you don't find words, but it's like your soul is connected to whatever idea or uh, personality. And, and I think, I would like to think that's spiritual. Uh, even though when we think of spiritual, we think of religion and, and ch church or mosque. But I think if you remove the institutions around, a lot of the things we do as leaders, at least on a macro level, um, it's, it's all spiritual. Well, I mean, it's certainly the case that uh, if you're leading somebody in the workplace, right, this is how they pursue their passion or their calling, or at the very least, this is how they add value and contribute to a mission and feed their family. Uh, this is how they can grow their own career. Uh, and if you have power in relation to someone else's livelihood, uh, that's, that's pretty important. And uh, so I think you're looking at it in a very deep way. I, I do think a lot of leaders don't look at it in such a deep way. Do you have stories or, or, or exercises that you use to help people kind of uh, reframe how they're looking at their role as a leader? Yeah. So I'll give you an example, which is this is a banker who basically told me, wow, you know, you have a very, very, you have a great job. Um, what you're doing is very meaningful. You're touching people's lives. You're you're impacting, you know, lives and generations. And and then he switched back to himself and he says, "I'm just a banker, you know. It's just numbers." And and it was fascinating to me because I realized in that moment that whoever hired this guy, whoever did the onboarding process, whoever his uh, supervisor or manager is, hasn't done a very good job of showing him how meaningful his job is. And I think an exercise that I I recommend to people is essentially don't just focus on the, your job description, on the what you're doing, but rather try to look at what, what you're doing. Who, who is it touching? First of all, I think maybe the questions here would be, um, who are you reaching? Uh, so if you're a bank, let's say, you know, you serve, you have retail banking, let's say you have uh, corporate banking. Um, so that's a who, who you are reaching. But at the same time, okay, why is your service or your product important to your consumer? Why is that important? Then, you know, you unpack that, then you realize, okay, if you're doing uh, corporate banking, let's say you, part of your segment, you reach farmers. 
And what do they do? They, you know, they grow these crops that eventually in the supply chain, they come and feed people. Uh, so if you unpack there, you come to realize, and if you look at your clients, you're not just a banker in terms of becoming uh, this uh, in-between and facilitating the transactions, but rather you're actually making it possible for people to access food. You're making it possible for farmers to access credit and grow their businesses and grow their production and provide food for people. You're reaching this hospital and making it possible for them to serve their clients. So you're not just uh, facilitating transactions. You're not just storing money, but you are actually making it possible for a lot of businesses, for a lot of individuals, for a lot of families to access very basic needs and services in their lives. That's what you're doing. You're facilitating that. So I think understanding what you're offering and how important and significant that is to the people uh, can change your view and perspective of what you're doing. And suddenly it becomes very meaningful because it's not just um, something you do. It's not, you know, it's not just short-term thinking because I think sometimes we have that very, um, I my view of what I do is tied to my daily duties. You know, I had a meeting today. Uh, I signed off this item. I, sent off these emails, we signed this contract, uh, we got this. So I think all of that, if you look at it in those terms and remove the actual last person that you're reaching, um, then a lot of it can seem quite meaningless. Um, but I think when you think of the individuals that are at the very end of your supply chain, you would realize that a lot of what you do is meaningful as well. And I think that humans, I believe, have a need to feel like they are contributing into another life, which is why even these days a lot of I've 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 read a lot of research and you see that a lot of people uh, feel burnt out or they're disengaged. They're looking for new jobs, and I think even in your book you've mentioned this in your book when you talk about millennials, where millennials would even take a low-paying job <laughs> just to find something that there is aligned with their passions, something that feels meaningful to them. And you see even today a lot of corporations as well. You know they try to. Uh, be conscious of the environment because so you might be a bank, but it's like an eco-friendly bank and you might be appealing to an individual who wants to save the planet from all the chaos that we humans have created uh, in the last hundred years. So I think looking and focusing on the last person you are reaching in your supply chain can really help reveal to you how meaningful and how important the work that you're doing is. And I think once you realize that, then as a leader, it's your job to make sure that everyone else always keeps track of that. This is who we're doing it for. Because sometimes people get so lost in the stuff in between and they lose sight of the last person or the last group at the end of their supply chain. So you're trying to help people see who ultimately benefits from their work. Is that uh, exactly is yeah. that part of it? Yeah. And, yes. and um so uh, do you have an exercise? Do you take people through that? Do you say to them like, hey, let's let's look at if you really connect the dots, uh, who is benefiting from your work? Um, and I have I haven't done an actual training. Most of these uh, happens when I speak, when I deal with my clients on a high level. Uh, so leaders or in coaching capacities, really not so much in a group capacity uh, with organizations. Although currently, actually, funny enough, I am de designing something for a client who wants 
this to be part of their culture because they're experiencing high turnover and people are disengaged, people are not accountable, people are not engaged, people are not committed. There's a lack of excitement, there's a lack of passion, the quality of work is pretty bad. And so he wants to roll this out to his team. It's an accounting uh, firm in the likes of Deloitte or PwC. Uh, and so I'm currently actually designing. It's not necessarily fully formed yet, um, but I am currently working through something, but it's all going to be centered around asking these same questions. It's, you know, what are we, what, what are our products? What are our services? Um, who's at the very end? Who benefits the most really at the very end of our supply chain? And then of course, working all the way backwards in terms of, okay, so what does this mean in terms of your contribution towards um, the value created for this last person at the end of this supply chain? So, uh, and is that, I guess, maybe that, is that the meaning behind the name of your firm, the Why Lead Consultancy? You're helping people uh, find their purpose. Exactly. Why is my favorite question, um, and which is why I love uh, Simon Sinek's book, <laughs> Start With Why. Why is one of my favorite questions, because I think why allows you to have a foundation that contributes greatly to your sense of conviction, which is, I think that's why there's even that phrase, right? When you when you want to give up or when you want to quit or when you want to stop, remember why you started. So I think for me, why is a very important. Why are we doing this? Um, why is it important? So, which is why actually, yeah, what, that's the reason the firm is called Why Lead Consultants? Because if we don't understand why we're doing what we're doing, if you don't understand why we're trying to reach who we're reaching, then our sense of conviction would be non-existent. We would do it for the short-term benefit, whether that's making money, whether that's building your career, but eventually that runs out. Um, it's like in that Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, once you have your basic needs, then you want to go to the next level and then the next level. But if we always keep this why in perspective, then we will always have a sense of conviction. We will always be inspired. We'll always be motivated to go on. Um, unless, of course, you solve that bigger or larger problem, which I don't think we will ever be able to accomplish that in our lifetime. So I think for me, why is a very, very important question, um, because, again, it fuels that sense of conviction and inspiration and motivation. Um, and I know you are also uh, right about character and integrity and leadership. Uh, how do you help people sort of tune in to their own character and their own sense of integrity uh, and help people navigate their choices uh, and their day-to-day -day actions along the lines of character and integrity? Um, so I think integrity is, so here's how I view the two aspects, right? Character and integrity. Um, for me, integrity is essentially the, a person's ability to behave con and act consistently whether people are watching or people aren't watching. So it's a person's ability to behave and act consistently when there is an audience and when you're alone. And for me, integrity, the reason I, I integrity is one of my core values is because it's something that I use to diagnose my own motive. Why am I doing what I'm doing? If I'm doing it, so that I can receive applause, if I, so I can receive affirmation, so I can make a name for myself, um, so I can appear to be the hero who's here to save the day, when 
those people I'm trying to appeal to aren't around, I'm not going to behave that way. So it's it's integrity for me. It's you know it's 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 something that I always use to check my motive. Uh, as to why I am doing what I'm doing and as to why I'm engaging in what I'm engaging. But character, on the other hand, is really virtue. Um, do I walk the talk and do I talk the walk, right? That's for me, is what character is all about. Um, if I speak about emotional intelligence, am I self-aware? Um, do I have empathy? Um, do I have the ability to manage my relationships? Um, how socially aware am I? So all of those other things, right? Am I resilient? If I say that I am kind, um, how does that translate into me actually always giving to people, putting people first, um, and always making sure that those in my care are taken care of? So, so, so character for me is really about virtue in terms of do I do what I say I will do? Um, and then integrity is will I do that consistently? So, so how do how does that happen? Um, unfortunately, in my experience, and even in coaching, and there are no shortcuts when it comes to, uh, especially character development. Character development what happens over time, and a framework, a very basic framework that I use is essentially one narrowing down who, what kind of a person do you want to be, and um, one the easiest way to do to know that is essentially is to know what kind of a person do you not want to be. So once you know that who you don't want to be, it's a lot easier to figure out who you want to be. And then, okay, what uh, can you break down that person into, especially on a granular level? Like, what are some of the habits this person has? So you can list all of those habits. And I've done this exercise many times over the course of my life, and list those habits, and then figure out, okay, how do I develop these habits how do i develop i think the more you are aware and then if you have it down on a piece of paper then when you're encountered when you encounter a challenge when you are in a situation it's a lot easier for you to be aware of how you behave and how you act and it's a journey it's going to take a while you'll have plenty of failures and in most cases you'll start by faking it till you make it right where there are some habits where i i faked it in the beginning and then but by making the right choice over the course of time, it became a part of who I am. So I think start by figuring out who you want, to, what kind of a person do you want to be? Um, and if you struggle identifying and defining that person, then start by defining what kind of a person do you not want to be? Uh, and then, you know, that will essentially help you figure out, okay, what's the opposite of this? And then list it down, break it down into actual habits um, whether it's, you know, someone who is responsible, uh, someone who puts others first, someone who is selfless, someone who is competent, uh, someone who is kind, whatever those items are, and then develop a strategy. How will I get to this point? Um, sometimes it's getting coaching, it's getting mentorship. Like one of the qualities that I, one of the practices that I've had is always surrounding myself with people who uh, possess these qualities. And so if I want to have integrity, I always make sure that I'm surrounded by people who have integrity. And I'll give you a quick story here. Um, I, I applied for a job. It was a tender that was put out by a large corporation here. And they were looking for a consultant who will come and essentially help build their team. And I applied and it looked like I was about to get the job. And then I get a call from the human resource department and they say, hey, so it looks like, you know, you might get this job, but here's the catch you're going to have to pay off some people to finalize this contract. And that goes against the values 
or the kind of person that I want to become. The kind of person that I want to become is a person that doesn't have to pay to get jobs. They don't necessarily, are not corrupt. They don't essentially pay off someone to get something. I'll get it purely based on merit. And so when that happened, a part of me was tempted to say, you know what? The end should justify the means. I mean, I know I'll do a great job. It's going to be good for everyone involved. So why not just do it? But because I've surrounded myself with people who have integrity, I in that moment of weakness, I knew exactly who to call. And I called one of my uh, friends and I said, hey, here's the situation. What should I do? And he reminded me, he said, you know what? It's not worth it. You know, you'll do this. Yes, you'll, you'll get the job, but then it's just not worth the price of admission. It, it simply isn't. So I just say, you know what? There are plenty of other jobs out there. There are plenty of other companies who will be willing to hire you without you compromising one of your values. So don't do it. And then, of course, when I hung up the call, I essentially reached out to them and said, okay, if this is the condition, unfortunately, I will not be able to engage in this. So I think one way, practical way, is to always surround yourself with people who possess those uh, virtues or those character traits that you aspire to be like. And then they become the mirror um, and they become the sounding board. And sometimes, you know, the individuals who will hold you accountable in developing your character. And of course, the more, the stronger your character, uh, the more you'll be able to operate with integrity as well. Uh, I think there's a quote that I like that says, leadership is two things, um, strategy and character. And if you have to give up one, give up strategy. I think the idea there is that in leadership, influence for the large, for the larger part of developing and cultivating influence, it's going to come down to competence and character. Um, are you able to get the job done? But at the same time, are you the kind of person I can trust? And so character is something that I emphasize a lot um, whenever I'm engaging with leaders because ultimately your influence hangs on your character. You might be the most competent person out there, but if your character um, is flawed, is greatly flawed, we all have flawed characters, but if it's greatly flawed, then it's going to be a liability in your pursuit of cultivating influence and you know getting buy-in from your teams and your organization you know in pursuit of whatever mission or vision you have for yourself. And what's your point of view about you know some people think that you know character and integrity uh, are you you know you, either you got it or you don't you're born with it or you're not and um, but I take it from your kind of action-oriented, habit-oriented, aspirational uh, way of looking at these issues that you see this as something you can develop in yourself and maybe something yes. you can develop in others. Um, character and integrity definitely can be developed because I, I didn't have character and I certainly, I know for a fact, uh, I didn't have any integrity. Um, and but now I would consider myself as someone who, whose character is more mature and who operates with integrity. And as a matter of fact, one of the commitments that I've made to myself is that I will have integrity, even if I am greatly fraud character-wise. So if I am not good at something, I will not to pretend to be good at it And as a, way, as a measure of accountability. So for me, a commitment to integrity is a measure of accountability that I've put for myself. As long as I remain with integrity, then I will always have that awareness of where I need to grow and I will always have the motivation to grow and develop in other areas. So if I know that for a fact I am not a kind person, I will not pretend to be a kind person. 
and I will just be authentic and I will be my true self. And in being that way, that leads to self-acceptance that, you know what, I am actually don't have, I'm not a, I'm not a kind person. I don't have empathy. Uh, I give you an example of empathy. Emp- empathy is something that I struggled with because I think I had taken empathy as agreement that, you know, I, I have to agree with someone to have empathy. And so I struggled with that. And But at the same time, empathy is one of the most desired traits for any leader, so to speak. But I didn't pretend to have it. I was very honest. And in my honesty and in being authentic, I received feedback that helped open my eyes to truly understand what empathy is. But if I had pretended to have empathy, I would always be moving around with no empathy at all, but this pretense and never really arrive at a point where my character is developed. So I think for me, integrity has become this measure of accountability as well. As long as I am authentic, I will always be aware of where I am flawed and that will create room for me to develop plans and strategies for growth. And then until I realize where else I'm flawed, you know, it's always going to be a journey. And that's why I think you mentioned process. Uh, I like the idea of process because we never arrive um, at a point where we're completely and absolutely competent in all the different aspects of our lives. Um, But that all of life really is a process. And as long as you're committed to growth, as long as you're committed to character development, as long as you're committed to uh, developing your competency level, um, then you should be fine. And I think also understanding that we are not perfect. Um, even the person who you inspires you the most, the person you idolize the most, they're not perfect. I think that's why even in our language, we have phrases like, you know, don't meet the, your heroes, they will disappoint you. So no one is really perfect. And as long as you understand that no one is perfect um, and you're committed to your own development and character growth, then it should be fairly easy for you to be um authentic. And as you can see, as I'm saying all of this, it goes back to the idea of, right, where a lot of the things that we do are spiritual because uh, this idea of self-acceptance, the idea of um, being committed to growing and developing, um, all of these things will require you to essentially, you know, just be a bit more uh, spiritual, maybe I can say emotional rather than just being intellectual as well. So, so, but, but, but a lot of what you're saying, what I'm thinking of is that this uh, that this requires a great deal of uh, self-awareness and being honest with oneself. And I know one of the things you write about is the importance of being aware and in charge of your mimetic desire in leadership. Can you talk about, can you explain that? What is that? Yeah. So I I am a firm believer. I think um, his name is Rene Girard, who I, I think he used to teach at, is it New York University or Stanford, I think, um, in the US. And he is the one who popularized this theory, mimetic theory. Technically, he said that human beings are creatures who don't know what to desire, so they look to other humans to make up their mind. And there was a, an experiment that was done in 1977 in the US and where this psychologists went to a hospital and walked into the room where they keep infants like a few hours after they're born. And he walked to a number of them and he was staring them in their faces. And then he would make, he would make all these faces. He would open his mouth. He would flinch his eyes and watch what happens to the babies. And the babies would mimic exactly what he does. I mean, no one taught them anything. These are babies who are a few hours old. And Technically, so after that, they came to a conclusion that human beings are one of a few mammals that are born greatly underdeveloped. 
when a cow gives birth, it's only a matter of hours before, you know, um, the, what is it? The cow starts running around and jumping and everything else, right? But humans, you need a few years to be nurtured by your mother uh, and your family before you can be on your own. Um, but one of the character traits or abilities that human beings uh, are born with, and this attribute, this quality is fully developed, it's the ability to mimic other people. And what we tend to think is that as we mature, as we grow older, we lose this. You know, you think I am an individual. I make up my own mind about a lot of the things in life. But actually, we never lose that uh, ability to mimic others. And so what happens is many adults, many leaders, in fact, are mindlessly mimicking other people without actually knowing. And so and that's why you can even see in the corporate world um, in the 80s when figures like Jack Welsh, right, they were the popular figures in leadership, um, and then came the emergence of the Steve Jobs, you would see that the style of leadership that was happening and that was popular was the dominant, uh, top, you know, top, very eloquent, very loud, very strong personality, um, almost like Napoleon-like figures, right? And then after that generation was over, now you see that a lot of leaders are moral leaders, um, empathetic, and emotional intelligence is a big deal. So you can see this shift, and what and as you can see there is that whoever is at the top, whoever has what most leaders desire, would be the most imitated figure in leadership. So we're always imitating, we're always copying other individuals, and so instead of doing it mindlessly, um, be aware of who you're mimicking, be aware of who you're. Uh, picking up all these different habits or ideas from. So, so that's, that's something that I definitely, I am very, very, very um, aware of as well, even with myself, that who am I mimicking? Who am I imitating, uh, even in leadership? And you'd find, come to realize that sometimes it's a lot of the people that you think are uh, worthy of imitations, people that you would consider your role models, people you'd consider your mentors, even from a distance. And so, if you're not aware, then what happens is you would imitate and mimic a lot of the things that could be contradicting or could not be useful within your context. So if you're trying to imitate and mimic someone who uh, works for a corporate organization where what matters the most at the end of the day is the bottom line, and then you are running a nonprofit organization where a lot of your impact is really qualitative and not quantitative, um, you might be imitating the wrong person because maybe a lot of the approaches would not translate well to your context. So who are you mimicking? So I think for me, the awareness that a lot of what we desire, a lot of what we do, uh, in many ways, the values that we have are a result of mimicking what we have been exposed to either through books, through people we've worked with, uh, through interactions we've had, through stories we've heard, we've had. I think for me, having that awareness really helps me become more intentional of selecting okay, who am I going to mimic? Who am I going to imitate? That I know for a fact that that imitation uh, will translate into uh, you know, great value and productivity in my actual context. And, that, and that's uh, also consistent with what you've been saying about uh, finding your purpose, being true to your purpose, uh, 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 aspiring to a high level of character, a high degree of, of integrity, uh, if you really can aspire and build yourself uh, in the right direction, uh, a lot of that might be might come from if if we're inclined to mimic, uh, then choose the right people to if you're going to be mimicking, 
uh, make it make it people with character and integrity and purpose whom you're mimicking, right? And and who are aligned with with your purpose. Um, I think that's great advice. Uh, ben Oden, uh, the founder of Y Lead Consultancy, um, and uh, uh, the author, trainer, speaker. Uh, ben Oden, thank you for being a guest on the Indispensables. Uh, thank you, Bruce, for for having me, and I hope that this was useful to uh, your audience. I think not just useful, but inspirational. Thank you so much. Next time on the Indispensables, Bruce will be joined by best-selling author Brian Christian. They will discuss the alignment problem and the use of AI in today's industries. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.